Welcome to Good Patron, a production of UTR Media. I'm your host, Garrett Godfrey, and on this show, I will explore what it means to be a good patron, asking how each of us can be a good patron of the bands and musicians we appreciate. I'm glad you're here, so stick around, because we have got some exploring to do. Now, if you saw the episode title, you already know who we'll be covering, but here's the rundown. I'll be covering campaigns and pre-orders for music by Liv Douglas, along with Ronnie Martin from Joy Electric, with links for both of those in the show notes. But this is a special year in review episode, and I've got a roundtable discussion that I was able to have with a couple friends at the end of the episode. So we're going to change things up and do the Good Patron Challenge and campaigns, and I'll share some details about last year with you. Then I'll share that roundtable discussion. But as you might guess... I want to kick things off by telling you about our Spotlight campaign. I first heard about the music of Liv Douglas in early 2021 with her 2020 EP, Doubter Friend, which she said was written in the wake of heartache and disappointment with an undertone of inescapable hope. So I was excited when I saw that she recently launched a Kickstarter campaign for the project Good Grief, which she's described as a collection of songs about grief in all its stages and the friend it can be. Here is a clip of her song When the Well Runs Dry from that 2020 EP, so you've got an idea what she sounds like. Teach us to blend in the sorrow and try you get the download of the new album for 15 you get that and the download of the doubter friend ep and then she's got other options like t-shirts and stickers and handwritten lyrics and poetry i'm a bit bummed because this launched after the december episode so i wasn't able to include it in that but it closes so soon after this episode so it doesn't give you a lot of time and most of the time this campaign has been active was over Christmas and New Year's when a lot of folks just aren't paying attention to crowdfunding campaigns. So please head over to Kickstarter as soon as you can and check out her campaign. The link will be in the show notes. This campaign closes Saturday, January 8th. And I had a pre-order I wanted to make sure you knew about. Ronnie Martin from Joy Electric has a new album coming out January 28th. 
and Velvet Blue Music has just launched the pre-order for the project on CD, cassette, and vinyl with some really cool packages. The title of the album, get ready, it's From the Womb of the Morning, The Dew of Your Youth Will Be Yours. It's the first of what he hopes will be a three-part series based on the wisdom literature and scripture, and it sounds a bit different than traditional joy electric music. Not a lot, but a bit. Here is a clip of that title track, so you've got an idea what to expect. Before I knew what this album was all about, I wondered, from the title, if he was reacting to his brother's past few albums. See, Ronnie's younger brother is Jason Martin from Starflyer 59, the same Jason Martin whose most recent few albums have been all about getting older, sitting in a recliner, the kids growing up too fast, all of that. And I'd kind of wondered how Ronnie, the older brother, felt about his younger brother going on and on about getting old. Then I heard that Ronnie's new album title was all about the dew of your youth, and I wondered if this was some sort of reaction to Jason's recent work. Either way, it's totally worth checking out. Head over to velvetbluemusic.com, and you can get the CD or cassette for $10. You can get black vinyl for 23 and then he's got these really cool deluxe packages for CD and vinyl as well. Just be sure to get there early, because a lot of these Velvet Blue Music pre-orders sell out before the album releases. So what's one way you can be a good patron? Well, given that this is essentially our New Year's episode, how about I challenge you to make a resolution around crowdfunding campaigns? If you've never backed a campaign, then I want you to resolve to back at least one campaign this year, or bump it up and go for four. That's one campaign every three months. That sounds pretty doable, even for a beginner. And keep listening here each episode follow at Good Patron on Twitter, and join the Crowdfunding Christian Music Group on Facebook, and then you're, you're going to be sure to discover plenty of good campaigns over the next year. Now, if you've backed some campaigns before, think about how many you backed in 2021 and make a deliberate effort to bump that up, maybe one a month. Choose a goal that would give you a sense of accomplishment if you reach it in 2022. So that's this month's Good Patron Challenge. Now, I want to do a bit of a recap of 2021. There were 11 episodes of the Good Patron Podcast in 2021. I covered a total of 85 campaigns on the show. 46 of those were Kickstarter campaigns, and all but one of those that I covered were fully funded. Eight were on Indiegogo. Five of those were fully funded. 
I covered four Bandcamp pre-orders, five GoFundMes, and there were 22 other campaigns or pre-orders on other platforms or directly from the bands and artists. And there were a good number of campaigns that fell through the cracks between episodes as well. Like when, I don't know if it's Reagan or Regan, Jill Phillips, Seth Jernigan, Brother Paul, Aaron Strumpel, KJ52, Porter's Gate, and even a Striper documentary that kind of just fell right between the cracks of episodes. Now, I was amazed to see over the last year how many more folks did indie platforms or raised funds on their own. And I was really excited to see more folks using the Kickstarter Save This Page feature ahead of time so that fans could be notified as soon as the campaign went live. If you're thinking of launching a campaign, be sure to do that. And we also had a number of special guests and interviews in 2021, including Noah Hardwick from Indie Vision Music on episode 34, Rachel Wilhelm on episode 35, Stephen McNeil on episode 37, Tom Galata in episode 41, Candace Coker in episode 43, and then writers Maria Bear and Chase Tremaine, of course he's also a singer-songwriter, on episode 44. And I issued 11 different good patron challenges in 2021. Here were a couple of my favorites. On episode 34, I got to talk with Noah Hardwick about musicbutler.io. I loved that. Loved learning about musicbutler.io and sharing that with you as a challenge. I loved what Alan and M from the podcast Dorkness to Light did when they got their refund from audio feed being canceled. They ended up sending about half the money back to the festival to help with their losses and the other half to a lot of the bands they would have seen. I was stoked to be able to share that with you for episode 42. I know it was a high bar, but the thought, the underlying principle of thoughtful generosity could be applied in simpler ways as well. And I really liked that challenge. And then I had a lot of fun putting together the spinner wheel challenge for episode 44. And I am pleased to share with you a roundtable discussion I had with some friends as we talked about this past year. Coming up right after this quick break. This UTR podcast is sponsored by the 14th Career Studio Album from critically acclaimed songwriter Sarah Groves. it through is Sarah Grove's first collection of original songs in six years. Find What Makes It Through by Sarah Groves now on Spotify and all major music platforms. This UTR Media podcast is brought to you by the new Advent album from Jonathan and Emily Martin. Tell me the story, the one that never grows old. Oh, the mystery, the God so loved the world. Tell me the story by Jonathan and Emily Martin is 10 original songs focused on the birth of the Savior.
Tell Me the Story by Jonathan and Emily Martin is available now on Spotify and all major music platforms. You've been listening to music all year. think were the best albums. Are there some gems you might have missed? Well, buckle up. UTR starts the year with our biggest post. The UTR critics have voted and will soon reveal the top 11 gourmet albums of 2021. Coming January 11th to utrmedia.org. I had so much fun on this roundtable call I had last week with Dave Trout and Phil Vecchio. You've probably already heard about Dave Trout on this podcast. He's the heart and soul behind UTR Media, the nonprofit ministry that the Good Patron Podcast is a part of. He produces the Gourmet Music Podcast and the Green Room Door Podcast, the Release Date Podcast that had come out. He curates the weekly video playlist, the Spotify playlist, and the Daily Song RX emails. And he's been doing a number of other things for UTR. And he and I have been friends for well over five years. But I also want to introduce you to Phil Vecchio. He and I met at a concert probably over six years ago or so. He's been a part of the Facebook group from before Good Patron Podcast even began. And he's the host of the podcast, Alex P. Keaton is my friend. And he co-hosts the podcast, The Mandarian Orange with his wife, Janelle. But he's also been a part of Pop Vox Music an indie record label since 2000, and doing Pop Vox Presents with live streams of indie artists with conversations and songs. And I know he's backed a lot of campaigns this past year. So I'd sent them both a summary of all the campaigns that had been featured on the podcast in 2021 to make it easier to remember them all. And we jumped on a Zoom call and chatted about some of the highlights. Enjoy. Hey, how's it going? Hey, good afternoon. How's it going out there? That's good. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, now I think I'm on. All right. All right. Good. Uh, really, I just thought this would be a, a really fun way to thumbnail, take a glance back at 2021 and what was going on with crowdfunding campaigns that at least caught our attention. So let me start with the first question. What 2021 campaigns did you geek out the most about when you heard about it? All right, well, I'll, I'll jump in there. Uh, the first one for me um, was the the fourth wave, the Reality Rock uh, Kickstarter, for a couple of reasons. One, just because there are so many amazing artists, uh, you know, involved on it, both in the original one and then some of the new, uh, you know, the new bands that they're bringing in for this this fourth wave. And when they announced that they're going to do the uh, some sort of a special release concert with special guests that are related, I mean, I I was my mind is blown already because who knows who could it be and you're close enough that you could probably make that concert oh yeah i i, I backed it at the level where you get the tickets to go to see it i don't care who it is it's going to be someone good yeah that's awesome any others um well yes i mean gosh i tried not to like just list them all 
I'll tell you real quick, my my number off of your list that you sent me, I had 11 kind of 12 that I supported um, throughout the year, you know, being limited funds, you know, I can only do so much. But um, so I like I loved them all. Uh, another one that I was super excited about was uh, Randy Stonehill and uh, just the amazing list of artists that are involved in that tribute record. Um, and I was super excited that, that that one came together. So, yeah. How about you, Dave? Any that kind of just really got your attention immediately? Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely resonate with the Randy Stonehill one, um, partly just because of the magnitude of the project. Like, you know, it's one thing to just put together a tribute album. It's another thing to get, I think, you know, I mean, over two dozen artists involved, 22 tracks, you know, and some of like, and, and these aren't just, you know, a smattering of indie artists too. This is Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith and uh, Jars of Clay and Sixpence None the Richer and Phil Keggy and Steve Taylor. And just like, I mean, pretty much all the artists that cross paths during Randy's career. So anyway, that the magnitude of that campaign just wowed me. Uh, but I think actually the, the one that I probably geeked out about the most is Candace Coker's Indiegogo campaign uh, from this last fall. And partly because of personal reasons, Garrett and I have a a mutual friend named Larry. He works behind the scenes at UTR. Uh, He has his hands in all the cookie jars and just sort of helps out kind of an unsung hero. And we have been bantering for a couple of years about how good Candace's music is. And she was just releasing completely independent, almost like demo recordings, but they were really well done. And Larry really leaned in and encouraged her. And I know that she got some other encouragement too, but Larry sort of took it the next step and even contacted Lori Chaffer from Waterdeep and said, I, I know of an artist who would be wonders in your hands as a producer. And kind of um, match made a bit of that uh, musical magic there with Candace and Lori Chaffer. Well, they sort of connected really sort of um, bonded well. And, um, and then that campaign was sort of the fruit of that whole relationship that was happening behind the scenes. And so to see that campaign come out was just a thrill. And then to have it hit a hundred percent, like I don't even think it was halfway through the term of the, the campaign and to have it go beyond hundred percent was just thrilling. And I'm, I think the world's going to be really, I mean, one single is already released as far as I know, but the, the rest of the music's coming out in 2022. And I think it's going to wow a lot of people. So for me, the Randy Stonehill tribute was on my list. I picked yeah. three because like, like you feel, I'm trying to narrow it down. I don't want to <laughs> list them all. Um, but the, at the foot of the cross reissue, uh, made my list as well, just because that was such an amazing collaborative alternative worship project. Um, I think probably before the browbeat project had come out, you know, well before a lot of like city on a hill. I mean, this helped make way for city on a hill to, to happen later as a, a choir fan. I'm going to love pretty much anything they touch, but that was so nice to hear so many different artists. And so I already have the CD. I think they'd reissued it with 
uh, the second one years ago, and I probably have that repressing as well. Um, so I don't need the music, but I, I want it on vinyl. I want to hear the the attention it gives to the, the remastering. But more than anything, I just really want a whole new generation of people to connect with those songs because I think they're really good. And then the other one that really caught my attention was the Hannah Huben All the Wrecked Light Project based on Psalm 190. There was just something about the... Now, she did it as a, as a class project, so there it required a lot more... Uh, behind-the-scenes research and work and effort than an, an artist might just normally put in. But she's not a singer. She's not a musician. She's like, you know, she she had this concept for this thing and wanted it to happen and brought all the community of people around to make it happen for a one-night concert and then took that the next step for the campaign to make that a studio album. And that that whole thing just blew my mind. So that one I I got pretty excited about. And, you know, I don't know what it's going to be like, but but it caught my attention right away. So, Phil, you talked about the the number of campaigns you'd backed um, music related, and I know Dave, you and I talked about that as well. Um, of the campaigns you supported, what percentage of them would you say reached their goal? Well, a hundred percent of the ones that I did this year uh, got them all, um, and several of them went far beyond, uh, which is just always so fun to see. Nothing like getting those stretch goals and getting riled up for more stuff. But yeah, hundred percent of mine. How about you, Dave? Yeah, I, I think I counted thirteen campaigns that I supported this year, um, and all of them hit the goal. So um, yeah, so that I was really thrilled with that. So now, Phil, you mentioned like uh, finances being an issue for campaigns, which is totally real. I'm gonna say. I backed 26 campaigns on Kickstarter. Wow. One of them didn't make it. I backed a couple on Indiegogo. Some of them made it. Some of them didn't. And then a, a few indie ones. But some of those backed them on Kickstarters weren't. I ordered the full whatever. It's, you know, you want $20 for a download of your EP? <laughs> uh, no. You, you want $40 before I could finally get a CD? Yeah. Maybe not. You know what? Um, I'm into what you're doing though. So here's five bucks, no strings attached. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, just whatever. Just I, I'm behind you. I'm in your corner. I'm not going to spend $40 for a CD or $20 for download. Just here, <laughs> here's $5. And I hope it helps because I'm, I'm for you, but your goals are kind of like, well, and so I don't, I don't say that on the podcast as I'm pitching them. Cause like, I don't, I don't need to be somebody else's gatekeeper of what's too much money for the campaign, but, Mm -hmm. but anyway, um, swinging hammers didn't make their goal. That's one of the ones I'd heard about and, and backed and liked, and it didn't, it didn't make the goal, but all the other ones for Kickstarter made their goal. It looked like a a number of the Indiegogo ones though, like probably only a a third of them actually hit a hundred percent, but because they were the flex funding, you know, they'll, they'll still kind of make it. Yeah. But, uh, but it's always a little bit of a gamble because, you know, you go, if you say you need 10,000 and you got four, but you say you need 10. Right. How are you going to do that? So it's like with Candace's Indiegogo, it was so good to see that hit a hundred percent because I know she's going to have what she needs. Okay. Which kind of pivots me to uh question three, which campaigns shocked you the most? Maybe it 
it hit the last goal, it hit the goal in the last couple of hours, or maybe it like double or tripled or just hit it really fast. Um, Dave, I'll have you go first. Which one's really kind of surprised you? Well, I'll just tell you the one that totally comes to mind right away with that question. And it's Gabrielle Grace's campaign. In fact, I was just kind of chatting with her every couple few days during the campaign via email, just giving her any ideas I had of like people she could send this out to or whatever, just trying to, uh, it, it just had a really slow start to the campaign. And I was just kind of like, but really wanted to see it happen. She's one of those new artists that kind of wowed me this year. Like I wasn't familiar with her until, till right about the campaign. And so then I really was like, okay, I want to see this new album happen. And she was only at about 30%, if I remember right, with like only like two or three days to go. I, I, I looked back and I think it was like $11,000 she still needed with 48 hours or something like that. It was, it was crazy. Just... And so I, I, I even emailed her and said, like, let me, come, let me help you as you retool and sort of shut down this campaign and relaunch you know, I, I just encourage her to like, go at it again, maybe even adjust the goal down a couple thousand dollars and just like, let's just try it again. Like, don't, don't get discouraged. And, and then within that final 48 hours, it went from like 25, 30% to a hundred percent. And I was, it just blew, blew my mind to see it. And it was a great celebration. Were there any others that kind of, kind of caught you by surprise? Well, I mean, the only other one that really kind of was a super big surprise was um, the Randy Stonehill one, uh, just because they had set a $40,000 goal. I think it was, if I remember right, I think it was 40. And, uh, and, and that seemed like actually a somewhat modest goal for the scale of which this project was. So that, that goal did not bother me, even though if you look at the list of all the campaigns you covered, 40,000 is kind of on the highest premier level of a campaign. Um, and w- I, I was talking to them as well as the campaign was going on. And uh, I, I actually, they, they had sort of given up on going after vinyl and I encouraged them to like, to, I, I was like, this is what the people want. <laughs> and if you add vinyl, it's going to really help the campaign have a second wind because it had already, it was already either like really close to the goal is in the, you know, 35,000 range or something. So they knew the goal was going to be hit within the first week of the campaign or something. But he said the, the, the project itself actually costs closer to 80,000. If we incorporate all the, the distribution and the, the duplication of the, you know, physical product, things like that. And so I was like, well, let's, let's shoot for an 80,000 stretch or whatever. I think maybe we ended uh, doing a 70,000 stretch goal or something. And it hit that stretch goal and went up to, I think it was 79,000 was the end. It was like just shy of 80,000. But um, to see that just sort of never really lose steam and go from, you know, cause a lot of times once you hit that hundred thousand, hundred percent mark. I mean, not hundred thousand, hundred percent mark. It's a lot of times the, the momentum of a campaign slows drastically. And this one just 
had long legs, kept going and ended up at, you know, 200% of a very large goal. How, how about you, Phil? Were there any that kind of uh, stood out to you either by how, how close it came or how quickly it funded or? Well, it's funny. The number one that I wrote down for that category was also the Randy Stonehill one. I had a lot of <laughs> similar like roller coasters. In fact, we had kind of a, a conversation going in the uh, in the, the Facebook group um, about, you know, is this thing going to make it? Because another one of my concerns early on was that it was one of those ones that you mentioned, Garrett, where it was a fairly high bar to get like a physical media. I don't remember the exact number, mm. but for me, I knew it was something I was willing to go for, but I'm like, Ooh, I don't know. Like, are there enough people? And of, of course there definitely turned out to be, but I was worried. Cause I'm like, I want this to happen. I see these artists and everything. And the other thing is that they did have Fleming and John on the list who infamously have a long uh, overdue one. And I'm like, Oh no, like the signs are popping in here. Is this not going to happen? And then of course it, it did. And it's wonderful, but it was a pleasant surprise. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah. And the other one, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if surprise. I mean, I guess, again, it kind of starts with like surprise that it happened in the first place. But um, that Morellas Forest, uh, the reissue, well, there was two Morellas Forest things this year, but the Morellas Forest on the tooth and nail one um, that uh, that popped up. And then I was just shocked, first of all, that it was going to happen because there's yeah. just, you know, who knew whatever happened with that album. And then just so pleased that it just immediately, you know, fairly early on got got funded. Because, uh, you know, that's another one where I'm like, I really want this, the, the vinyl. And and I'll just say I did wind up going for both colors because I couldn't choose. It was just so pretty. But, yeah, that was a great surprise that that was still had so much support even all these years later. So. I had the Gabrielle Grace as a nail biter on mine as well. And I, I feel like the Hannah Huben campaign was another one that got got pretty close to the end without actually fully funding. And I'm just like, Oh, come on, please. You know? <laughs> um, but then I was surprised by some, uh, how, how fast they funded. So the, at the foot of the cross project that funded really fast, like six hours into it. And it was already 80% funded or something. I think the striper documentary, which fell between podcast episodes. So it didn't get mentioned at all on the show. Um, that one, I think, funded really fast. Uh, the Jill Phillips campaign, I, I feel like that one funded really fast. And those those just blow me away. When I see like one artist that's, I, I wouldn't think of this person as being, you know, super high tier, big name, but they get, you know, $15,000 just like that. And then somebody that I think like, I mean, people probably know this person can struggle to get, you know, 8,000. And it's just like, I, you know, it's just a, the, the network of who knows about them and how they find out and when in the cycle they find out. And it's kind of wild. Yeah. yeah I think there's, there's a, I mean, you talk about this sometimes on the podcast, there's, there's a bit of an art to, to doing a campaign. And I don't know if artists often recognize that. I think it's, I think like the work you're doing on the podcast is important to draw light to that. But I, I kind of wish that there was more, artists willing to ask questions of even people like us who are just sort of like kind of uh, just love backing projects and sort of love the study of of the art of campaigns because I think that any of us would be willing to share input and advice and let people know like $20 for a digital download that's you know 
don't don't try to double double the cost of what it's on iTunes for. You know, like that's right. not smart. I mean, I, I love just sort of helping an artist sort of rethink it because if if you just go in thinking if I build it, they will come, it oftentimes doesn't happen. It's a lot of work. And I, I mean, one of the things I tell artists if they're sort of getting ready, especially to do their first ever campaign, is I usually, I usually tell them the month of your campaign, that is your full-time job. Don't try to write songs. Don't try to go to the recording studio. Don't try to do too many other things. Like plan on working on this almost all day, every day. You got you to gotta really hustle to to get it in front of people just the way the world works now so it's always fascinating to kind of see how like i don't sometimes you don't really know why some succeed and some don't well and then there's the legwork before you launch like the the whole like the first part of crowdfunding is a crowd like and if you're just gonna hang your shingle and like there you are and wait for people to line up like i'm abnormal and that i'm hitting up kickstarter and saying show me all the music my newest and like refreshing mm-hmm. that on the, you know, every, every other day, most people aren't like that. Right. You know, even I I've done some polls in the Facebook group and on Twitter and said, like, if you back campaigns, is it mostly just bands I used to love and I've always loved or you're just on the hunt for new artists or somewhere in between. And it's either just the bands that I always loved if they, if they did something or somewhat of a, some new artists like nobody's nobody's really out there just on the hunt for using kickstarter as artist discovery but that pivots me and i didn't plan it this way pivots me to my next question are were there any new artists you discovered that really intrigued you because of their campaign or pre-order they ran so phil i'll have you go first this time yeah i had two both of which i found out about through your podcast um, and I think actually, funnily enough, they were both on the same episode, if I remember correctly. The first one was Candace Coker, um, who just I was just blown away. I mean, immediately fell in love with all of her music, went and looked her up on Bandcamp and, you know, did the the whole deal. I mean, she just just amazing. Um, and I'd never never heard of her had never been on my radar until your show, um, which is just great. And then another one that uh, I think, again, in your same episode was Josiah Z. Um, I just, I don't know. I just, he really, it struck me. I really liked his music and just his, his heart and the way that he just, you know, talked about his project. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to hear what comes out of both of those. Cause, um, I am definitely one of those ones where the lo- the vast majority of what I back is artists that I am familiar with already and that I've loved and I want to see new things from. So usually it's, if it's something new, it's because I heard it from you. <laughs> How about you, Dave? Were there any that, that were kind of new to you until the campaign? You mentioned Gabrielle Grace. That yeah. was kind of about the same time. Yeah. Uh, the, another one for me, uh, and you mentioned her, Hannah Huben, um, who I think uh, I'm really excited just to, just to learn what she's up to. And I, I think that you know, what she's doing as sort of a, a, a community collaborator is really important and is good. And it kind of reminds me, of uh, Tim Briggs and folk hymnal, yeah, um, you know, because he himself would say, "I'm not a trained singer or performer, or artist, but I love to write. I love to like draw artists together um, into community." And so I'm, 
I mean, and that's that's someone I had had no had no background with prior to the campaign. And I mean, a couple others that were new to me, um, in, new and in, in, uh, I might have like heard a single or two like prior to the campaign, but right, you know, still sort of just kind of di- digging deeper into their music is um, Kenny and Claire and uh, Melanie Waldman. And, uh, and both of their projects have, have come out and are, are really, really good. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of, in fact, I was even looking down the list and looking at how many of these are debut projects. There's a lot of artists that, that, you know, did their first campaign and their first release. And it's exciting to see how many of them successfully hit their goals because the first campaign is always the hardest. Yeah. There, there were a couple I had. One was uh, Dolos Musica, uh, and it was, I think, probably one of the handful that I've ever done that I, that I covered that were non-English, and it was the Spanish church worship project. Um, and part of why I covered it is just because our church has a Spanish service, mm-hmm. and I play music you know, pre-service or whatever, but, um, but there was just one track of theirs that caught my attention. It was so like, you know, I put it on, I'm doing something and I just stopped and I'm listening going, this is beautiful. Like this, mm. I love this song. And so I immediately had to back it. I, I knew I would be sharing it. I'm like, I, I want this to succeed. And so I was really excited about that. Um, Josh Leventhal, I'd never heard of him before. I'd heard his campaign and there was just something about the way his his music and his vocals were kind of layered on top of each other that had kind of an atmospheric vibe that I don't know. I mean, but like the, the first time I heard it, it, it really caught my attention. I went, this is something different than what I've been hearing. And I like it. And then Becca Jordan, I, you know, I mm-hmm. was likely to gonna just like chalk it up to, you know, another CCM artist That's like, that's not bad. It's just, you know, not always my jam. Um, but something about the Becca Jordan project caught me as like, I don't I want I don't want to say more genuine than the other CCM stuff, but there was something about it that, that caught my attention. And I'm not sure why, but when I was going back through the list, those were the ones that stood out and went, yeah, I remember kind of having that moment with each one of them where I'm listening to it and it, it really caught my attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So which campaigns that you did support would you say were your favorites to become backers of where you're like, yeah, I I'm so glad I, I got in on that this year. Well, again, it's hard because I can't, I have to narrow it down some, of course, I already mentioned Randy Stonehill and fourth wave, um, which are both ones, you know, the reality rock one. I'm also super excited about Jeff Elbel and ping. And I don't know how, Oh, I'm, I know you do know, but the story, the the kind of concept behind it, and the issue he had with his fingers, the three three finger opera, I think is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah, yeah. I just the whole concept of it, and he's such a cool guy, you know. Um, I'm really really excited about it, and of course, I've already gotten some of the physical things from it, which is fun. Got my little patch all ready to go and everything, so uh, that's just great. He's just a, a great guy who, incidentally, is going to be on Pavox Presents in the new year. So very cool. Very excited for that. Um, so yeah, that's super exciting. And one other that I hope this is not out of line, but it's one that didn't make it in an episode or your list, but we did discuss it in your Facebook group 
which was Stephen Wesley Giles. I don't know if yeah. you remember that one come on your radar. Who was he was a singer for uh, Push Start Wagon, yeah, which will be familiar to you know listeners of the show. Um, and he's just such a cool guy, and um, real excited that he's doing another soul album. And anyway, I love him, so I'm excited to have that uh, one as well. Oh, very cool, Dave. Any that you would be like, yeah, I'm, yeah, definitely. I, I just marked a few. I know that these are for trivial reasons, but <laughs> I I really loved uh, um, being a part of the Kenny and Claire campaign because I I think I got one of the best um, coffee mugs from them, <laughs> which is great. It's awesome. Um, Stephen McNeil's campaign for the art of repair. Oh yeah. And one of the reasons why I loved being a part of that campaign is he had a really cool T-shirt. With a kintsugi. Yep. It's I I love it. And it's like a super soft tea. It's like just he went high quality on the tea. And I love it. So <laughs> well done on that. The Randy Stonehill tribute is another one that is on my list of kind of ones that I was excited to be a part of. Partly because it was fun to sort of be a part of the the uh, you know kind of behind the scenes stuff, but also I just think that uh, it's going to be exciting to have it released to the world coming up in early 2022. And there's already talk about a possible Randy Stonehill tribute concert to happen in Nashville, hopefully like late spring or, or summer of 2022. So that would be really fun to, to just to have that happen. So, Oh, and, and also um I usually Jill Phillips campaign. I, I usually don't, you know, you mentioned this, Phil, I, I don't usually go to the level of like the, the tickets for the release concert, that kind of thing. But for the Jill Phillips one, I did. Cause you know, it's like, I'm, I'm down the road, not too far. I got to make that happen. And of course, kind of like what you were mentioning, I know that she'll pull in just like an all-star crew of people to help put on that show. So I'm kind of geeked out of that, <laughs> that I'm going to have tickets to that release concert. It'll be awesome. Yeah. For me, uh, at the, for the cross, I'm just so excited that's even happening. So I'm, I'm glad I was able to get in on that. The Hannah Huben project, um, the Randy Stonehill tribute, but one that had missed the episodes or what did it, did it miss the episode or did we add it the last minute? The Andrew Osenga oh, campaign. Yeah. Um, yes. I'd loved painted desert. And his uh, whole concept of kind of talking to his kids while they're so young about in the future when I'm old and I've passed and I hope this is the legacy I've had for you. And as a dad, it just like, mm-hmm. it, it, it hit me. And then to know that this next album is, you know, basically I'm writing this for my kids. It's just like, take my money. Like, where, <laughs> yeah. where do I sign up? I mean, I, I went in on that. So I was pretty excited about that just conceptually. Mm-hmm. So, and aside from this, all of the the reissues that we've been seeing, whether it's Lost in Ohio coming out with, you know, Sixpence and the Julies and, you know, Low Fidelity doing all their reissues they've been doing, or the Boone, Girder, Retroactive, you know, pulling out all these old classics um, of like, you know, DeGarmo and Key and Petra albums. It's just been really interesting to see some of the older music, either they're, they're finding the masters or they're just working with what they have, trying to make it sound better. While all that's going on with all the old stuff, like to your point, Dave, tons of new artists 
are coming out with the very first albums. And that's super exciting as well. You know? Yeah. I think it's been a really bizarre year. Mm-hmm. I know um, in 2020, uh, Rachel Wilhelm had been talking about like kind of a reluctance to do a campaign just because like, is, is this the right time in the world to be saying, Hey, could you please give me some music to make art? And then there's this realization that actually that that's probably what a lot of people need in the middle of what's going on is to have well-made art. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that it's hard for people to put a value on mental health and, and I think that really meaningful music is one of the best investments you can make in your own personal mental and emotional health. And, and like we're going through a time in, in history where if people don't take care of themselves, just emotionally, mentally, spiritually, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna be hitting the wall. And so I think it's worth, I mean, there are simple things that we, all of us can do just like get outside more breathe fresh air, all that kind of stuff. But music is one of those amazing tools that, that just edifies us from the inside out. And, uh, and unfortunately, there's not enough people that put a value on that. But I'm, I'm really happy to see that artists are continuing to make good art that's meaningful, that's heartfelt. And that honestly, I mean, I think it has helped me survive this pandemic in a in a normalized way, just having good music to sort of reflect upon. I would say also that it, as a music fan, it's been a great to have access to be able to support artists who are also going through what we're going, because mm. I mean, it's fantastic that they're creating art for us, but without being able to go to live shows and, and do the things we normally are like to be able to reach out directly and support them on a, a Kickstarter or to buy their music on Bandcamp or whatever it is, that we can direct, you know, from our homes, go and support them in all these different ways, be a good patron. Um, It's, it's been such a cool opportunity. It's made me feel like I'm still connected to the music that I love so much without, you know, and being able to help them without having to go out, you know, it's, it's it's very valuable for both directions. I would say. Every Sunday, my family goes to the same neighborhood donut shop and, um, I just have to say I'm I'm the number one Krispy Kreme fan in the state of Arizona, <laughs> but my local Bosa Donuts makes great apple fritters and they're my neighborhood donut shop. And we go there every Sunday and we can like throw extra money in the tip jar and keep the change. And, you know, I'm ordering takeout for food for the family because we're not eating at restaurants right now. And I'm still going to tip, even though I drove there to pick it up and like, you didn't serve me. You just handed me a bag, but I'm going to tip because I know times are hard for you guys. And I can do all those things with the sort of in-person transactions with people that I see for service industry. But to be able to do that for the musicians, for the songwriters, for the singers, for the bands, that's, that's harder, isn't it? I mean, it's not like I can just say, hey, I'm just going to walk by and like, Venmo these five people a couple bucks just because right. I was thinking about I, I listened to that song and it made me cry again. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I yeah. mean, and there's there's still not really an easy way to just find the artist and throw money at them through micropayments or, you know, but at least we can catch them when their campaigns happen. Yeah. Like Yaz Williams. I'd I'd uh, been introduced to her music and I knew she was coming out with a new album. 
And I'm like, you know, are you doing a campaign? Because I, I want to share it. No, she's not. She's just putting it out. Okay, well, that's good. Um, hey, would you please put it on Bandcamp? Because then I can at least like buy it on Bandcamp and tell other people to buy it on Bandcamp. And she's like, oh, I'll find out how to do that. So she found out how to put it on Bandcamp and did. Cool. So now I'm going to buy it on Bandcamp and tell other people to. And hopefully it was worth her time to put it there because I'll, I'll probably still just listen to it on Spotify. But I want, I want to be able to like buy it on Bandcamp to support what she's doing. So yeah, the tricky bits, the artists that aren't doing the campaigns or the pre-orders, it's just like, I'm going to have to think through ways to yeah. throw something their way. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think, I mean, I, if any artists are listening, I, I, I would echo that and encourage artists to, to take the leap of faith and try to do a campaign uh, just because it, uh, uh, it not only is a practical help to the actual making of the music, but it actually builds community around your music. Um, people coming together, maybe even discovering your music. I mean, all of us, all three of us discover artists through campaigns every single year that, that we end up like really falling in love with and supporting future campaigns. And so, you know, I, I know I've talked to artists who, who are just afraid of the risk and afraid of maybe possibly failing in front of people. That's scary to a lot of people, but I just, I encourage them to, even if it's a very small goal, like even if you only want to cover your duplication and distribution costs and you want to do a quick $2,000 campaign or something like that, do something that kind of helps people rally together. And, and it usually, I mean, like we have a list here of, I, I don't know what your total is, maybe like 80 or 90 campaigns that you've covered. Yeah. And, and all but one of them hit the goal. Actually, it's probably even over a hundred if you count all the, the pre-orders. Yeah, it, was a, it was a really high majority that, yeah. that made so, yeah. And so it's like the risk is actually statistically a lot lower than a lot of people think. So anyway, I, I just echo that, that encouragement to any artists listening that campaigns are a great way to build your community. Yeah. I hope we see more of that in 2022. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks guys. I know I could probably sit and talk music with you for forever, (laughs) but uh, I also want to respect your time and keep it not crazy long, but yeah, this is fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So Phil, tell everybody where they can find what you're doing with pop Vox. Well, uh, popvoxmusic.com is easy, but also of course, Facebook is where we do all of our, our live streams and stuff. So just looking for pop Vox music on Facebook. Um, and you can join us. We, we do them fairly regularly. And that's probably the, the closest connection we have with listeners. Um, we've got new albums coming out next year as well. So Pavox Music. <laughs> cool. And Dave, you've got a, uh, you've already made the announcement, but you've got a pretty new uh, twist or uh, uh, exciting next steps for UTR Media with, um, was it Judson? Yeah, Judson University and UTR are going to be kind of working together on stuff um, for the, foreseeable future and um we're sort of in the first days of that literally right now the first days of of that of that partnership and we're going to see how i mean we already can see some ways that that's going to play out um judson has is um pretty heavily involved with the life fest uh festival that has been happening in wisconsin for like 
I don't know, a couple of decades. Oh, wow. And then, and then uh, they just, in 2021, launched Life Fest Music City, which is about an hour outside of Nashville. And so um, UTR, I think, is going to probably, because of that relationship with Judson, have some sort of involvement or presence with Life Fest Music City. So it's things like that where, where they're going to open up some doors for us that we couldn't have. And we're going to hopefully open up some doors for Judson that they wouldn't have necessarily access to and to just help each other out. So, so that's really exciting. And the other really exciting thing next week, we're revealing UTR's top 11 gourmet albums of 2021. And Garrett, you voted in this. I'm excited. I did. It's a pretty, pretty diverse cast. It sounds like, like, not a lot of overlap between all the number ones either. It's none, none. We had nine critics voting and all nine, we have nine different number ones. So, I mean, it's interesting just because a there's there, there wasn't like a standout, like slam dunk winner, which is always kind of, it makes it kind of a wild card year. And uh, B it means that, the, this panel of critics has a diverse diversity of tastes and interests and things that really caught their attention. And so, and so to combine it all into one collective list, it, it, it turns out to be something kind of interesting and quirky and fun. So I'm, I'm excited to, re- to get the reveals out there soon. I can just picture you on a, on a big university chalkboard doing the math, you know, just... I, I, I will show you. This is the, <laughs> there you go. This is the chart. Yep, you got the spreadsheet. I'm color coding, and doing yeah. the math, and adding who'd got what. And- What's the weighting if it's a number one versus who <laughs> is a number 10? Yeah. Exactly. They're all weighted different. So, yep. Wow. It's, it's super fun. Very cool. Well, thanks, you guys. I sure do appreciate it. This will get uh, mixed in with whatever campaigns there are. Right now, I only know of one. Um, there's uh, Liv Douglas has a campaign for um, a new project, and I'm I had just discovered her music um, earlier this year with an EP she had out last year, and it's just kind of bad timing that it's yeah. going on right now where nobody's paying attention. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I'm hoping it it makes it so that that will get some attention, and unless somebody else launches something new between now and then. There's not not a lot campaign wise, so I'll do some yeah. kind of summary of, you know, campaigns we covered and and other things like that. But uh, um, cool. I think this will probably be the core of the the episode. Dave, I, yeah. I thank you for for suggesting this. It was was a lot of fun to yeah nice to do. Phil, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, this was really, really anytime. Cool. I love it. So. It was great. Absolutely nice to meet you, Dave. Like yeah, uh, love to keep Phil. in touch. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I love what you're doing. Uh, that's awesome. I, I really appreciate what you're doing too. I think you were just talking about how, how it's important to be able to connect with music from our living rooms. And, and that's like kind of the heart of what you're doing. And I think it's, I think it's really important. Well, thanks. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, thanks. Catch you guys later. All right. Happy new year, everybody. Happy new year. Okay. Thank you guys. You too. Happy new year. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, if you want to check out PopVox, either at the website or the Facebook page, I'll have the links to both in the show notes. And be sure to check out utrmedia.org to see the best of 2021 critics' picks for albums and songs over the next few weeks. And check out the Gourmet Music Podcast. They're going to have all those on there as well. Now, I really had a blast talking to those two, but 
I'd also love to hear from you. What campaigns did you geek out about in 2021? What campaigns surprised you? What new artists did you discover that you enjoyed based on their campaigns? What campaigns are you really proud to be a backer of? Hit me up on Twitter at GoodPatron or email me goodpatronpodcast at gmail.com and let me know. I really hope that as you listen to this podcast, you encounter campaigns and artists that connect with you and that you'll follow up and check them out. And I hope this roundtable discussion got you excited again about how we can better support the artists we love. If you have any questions or feedback or want to give me a heads up about a campaign I should know about, please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. I am excited to keep digging into the topic of how to be a good patron. I hope I encourage you in your journey from fan to patron. Until next episode, remember, great music doesn't just happen. So get involved. Good Patron Podcast is proud to be a part of UTR Media, an independent, listener-supported, nonprofit ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and found online at utrmedia.org.